Teachers are leaders. And we're here to emphasize the good in education, one practice, method, idea, or trend at a time. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Teachers Are Leaders podcast brought to you by the Warren Instructional Network, and I'm your host, Andrea Coachman. Okay, we are back for another episode, and I am very excited to be joined today with Lisa Hill. Lisa, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited. Yes. So currently, I mean, and you are, you know, you're one of those that we reached out to because of the work that you do. So you are the Director of Literacy and Instruction for Canyon ISD, which I think is awesome. Canyon has about 11,000 kids, Mm -hmm. but still in a district of that size with multiple campuses, you know, Mm -hmm. your elementaries, intermediate, junior highs, and high schools, you still cover K-12. Yes. Which I think is awesome, but also (laughs) a whole, whole lot. (laughs) Yeah, I do cover K-12. So with that, we do, I do everything with K-12 teachers for literacy, anyone who teaches literacy, English, Um, reading, writing, which ours is together in an ELAR block for our K all the way to fourth grade. We have a K-4 and then we have five, six campuses. Mm -hmm. So I do work with all of those teachers, uh, just supporting them, helping them with instruction, assessments, uh, resources, all of that, all the way through 12th grade. Yes. I think that's just a really, a cool way to see the whole picture. You know, a lot like I worked um, in a district in McKinney, um, but I only supported six twelve. So then I had a counterpart who did the, you know, K five, and we worked closely together. But it's not the same as being able to go into a kindergarten classroom, but then on the other side, go into a twelfth grade classroom and see the work that's happening. I think that's a really cool perspective. Yeah, and and in my teaching career, I did have the opportunity to, you know, I went to school to be an elementary educator. That's why I went to school. And then I taught in a kindergarten classroom and in a third grade classroom and in a fourth grade classroom, and then um, taught at a high school level and then went back when I moved and taught in a junior high setting. So for middle school concept setting. Yes. And that is you, because before you were in Canyon, you were in Amarillo, which I think is super cool because you were able to teach at the campus where you went to school before that. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. interesting. I'm sure, you know, like teaching, because you had mentioned teaching some of the kids, teaching kids who you went to school with their parents, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, I, I think that's just super cool. That is definitely, <laughs> you know, that's not every educators or even many, I would say, like the experience of being able to be like, I went to school with your, you know, like, Mm-hmm. I can tell that that is your dad. Like I know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Or or you don't know. Yes. How? Yeah, I wouldn't have it any way. No. <laughs> fair. Fair. Well, so that's. A, I mean, from the you know span of classrooms that you've been in, mm-hmm. and then in supporting teachers at the high school, and then now currently supporting oh, all of the teachers K twelve. <laughs> that's a that's a lot. It's a lot of memories. It's a lot of things. You know mm-hmm. that that stick out over the years. However, if you could share with us a bright spot, something that has just always stayed with you over the years, what would that be? 
Hmm. That is, that's hard to narrow that down. Um, I do have to say my husband and I went to eat one night and I, t- I taught, the class that I taught was a class of students who hadn't been successful on state tests or really kind of just on school. They weren't successful for school. Uh-huh. And we went to eat. This young man comes over and lo and behold, I had taught him. Yeah. <laughs> and he begins to talk, you know, to my husband and I and bringing us our food and all the things. And I got up to go to the restroom and came back. And my husband was just like, he said, he goes, wow, wow. And I said, what? And he said, like, he just told me that you taught him to read oh. in the seventh grade. Oh, wow. And I said, I said, oh, I didn't teach him how to read in the seventh grade. And he goes, no, no, you did. And he remembers and I was taken back. And so then he comes back to our table to bring us whatever. And I just jump up and hug him. And he's just this, you know, he's a man making a living for his family. He's a man, you know, doing all the things and for him to remember that and to be able to express that to my husband, I think for me, he remembered it. So and even if I didn't think that's what I did, right? I was, I was just doing, I was just giving him what he needed at that moment. I wasn't, I didn't set out to go, oh, I need to teach all the children. Right. <laughs> you know, right. You know, like if we're not doing that in our cars on the way to work, we're just no. to, help, to help kids and knowing that impact. So that would be my one with my kids, probably my teacher, because I, they're the same to me. Teachers now are my kids, so um, we we have some teachers and they in our district, and they just hunger for more, uh-huh. just more. Uh-huh. What what else do you tell me? What else can you what else can you teach me? How how will that work? Show me. And I think the most important thing for me, and the thing that settles most with me, is. When a teacher says, show me, show me how that works. Show me what you mean. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can tell you all day long. And I say it all the time. Telling is not teaching, showing, yeah. showing, and walking yeah. through with someone, but for someone to be so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about, there's this group of like, there's just this group of teachers, younger generation teachers. And every time I get to meet with them and talk with them, that's, that's exactly how they start it. And it's show me, show me how that works. And it, it takes a place for us as humans to lay down our ego and say, I don't know how to do that. And I always say, you know what, this is the way that I may do it. It may not be right. And it may not work, for sure. but we can, at least, we can at least give it a shot. Let's try together. I'm going to show you this, then you do it. And then let's do it and let me do it with kids. And then then you do it. And then let's see where we meet in the middle, because somewhere in the middle of me showing you and you, you working with kids, me working with kids, we're going to find the answer somewhere in the middle. My answer is not the answer, but our answer together for the kids in the room at that moment, that's the answer. So that's really kind of, I think that's my teacher moment is when they say, show me. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it's so vulnerable. I don't, I, I don't know that I've ever really thought about it in that aspect. You know, I, I wrote down when you said vulnerability and I think of, um, Brene Brown, mm. book, one of her books, but she talks about being vulnerable and how we are not good at that as humans. Like that's not our skill set. We don't want to, we don't want to admit that we need help or support or that we're wrong or, you know, whatever, but I feel like you really nailed it on that one because it, it when a, when a teacher is able to say, I need, I need support, or I'm not that strong in this area or whatever it is like that is when the door can be open and you can work to support that change or that area or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. The work that you guys are doing in Canyon mm-hmm. K-12, you are working to implement a, a unified structure within every classroom where all students are, you know, getting to have that same experience, whether they are in elementary school all the way up to high school. And, and I don't, I mean, that is not something that I've seen that happens everywhere. You know, you go from, you know, and maybe it's one, one end of the spectrum. It just depends. Like the mm-hmm. effort and the support is focused in one area, like mm-hmm. maybe just the biggest area of need, you know, whatever it is, but then it kind of trickles off. And so working K-12 to create that consistency, it's, it's very interesting to me and I, and I love it. So uh, how do you do it? How do you do that? How are you making K-12? Well, um, what, what we did when I went to Canyon, the, the idea and the movement is that kids work better in what some people would say a workshop model, Mm -hmm. but really like when you, like you can say, you can call it whatever word you want to call it. You can call it atmospheric rubric. I don't, I don't care what you call it. it. It's kids work better when they are shown what to do. They have a moment to show you that they understand that process. And then they get to be released into the work in a collaborative aspect and then moved into that independent. So that is the cycle of a workshop. And we know it works because we watch coaches do it. Every day. I mean, we have coaches for, you know, the most popular thing in the United States, which is football. Absolutely. It works. Yes. And, And when you go into classrooms where, you know, CTE, I always say like, if you really wanna see this in, in play, go to a CTE classroom, like where you're teaching welding, you're teaching something hands-on. And we just have a tendency to remove that from anything else mm-hmm. and say, oh, it only works because this is an application. Right. All learning is an application. So why doesn't it work with all learning? But, I mean, math is an application. Right. Reading is an application. Writing is an application. But for some reason that got shifted. And I think back about... Um, Donald Graves and really like workshops started at the college level and worked its way down. It didn't, it didn't come from a kindergarten classroom. It came from high, from college down because as a learner, you need to be shown because that's what teaching is. Teaching is showing. So that was our first step to be able to say, how, how would this look if, if everyone was doing it and our kids were learning this way. And we also know from, you know, PDOS in Texas, was our evaluation tool. Then when we went to T-test as our evaluation tool, everything is student-centered. It's not Uh teacher-centered. So when Uh you make that shift 
to, to truly make that shift, you've got to have that function happening. You've got to be able to teach students, hey, this is what it is. Here it is. And then let's move it into you show me that you understand that concept just a little bit. And then I want you to work with your friends and your peers through it. And then I want you to apply it by yourself. That's it. We can, I mean, it's gradual release model. Yes. That's what workshop is. That's it. And for whatever reason, we just, we didn't think about it in that term. So it's just, it's just the thinking of, well, how would I show somebody how to do this? So our, and I would probably say most K-1-2 classrooms look like that for the most part, like they function in that. I mean, if you've ever tried to like wrangle up some kindergartners, I mean, it's like chasing chickens. Yes. Like, <laughs> we have it and it works great. But for some reason, about third grade, uh-huh. we start losing that. We start saying kids can take in more information at a time. Right. And then be able to hold on to it. And then they can go do it by themselves. We start missing those collaborative pieces and that checking on kids and the application. So when we do that, we truly lose the application of that. So, and that's, to me, that's critical because when, when you're teaching kids to read, because we have to teach them to read and write. Yeah. And when I think about it, cognitively, cognitively kids start that shift between second and third grade, right. the learning, the true learning, the components of reading and writing, learning those components in between second and third grade, third grade is we make that shift into reading to learn, reading yes. for that information, because cognitively it happens somewhere between eight and 10 and mm. um, for most now, not all, right. because everybody develops differently. And we have students who sometimes, you know, it takes them just a little bit longer for that because it's a process. And when I say that and people are like, yeah, but once they know how to read and I go, absolutely not. No. What, yeah. what are you saying? Like, are you saying today you're the same reader that you were when you were 18? Exactly. I hope, no, I hope not. Right. I, I hope not. Now, if it's, if it is, then that's okay because then you can only improve. So when I think through that, that's what we wanted. Uh-huh. I wanted that bridge. I wanted us to get that instructional component down and be able to say, this is what instruction needs to look like for kids because it suits the learning process. Uh-huh. We have all kinds of learners. We have people who can you know, learn by seeing, learn by doing, learn by hearing, all the things. But when you work through it in that kind of process, that gradual release workshop process, they get to have every attribute. So like when I think about a classroom full of kids, when you work inside of this workshop model, you're hitting every learning modality for kids. So that was something that we were kind of missing. So we did put that into play. We did, we structured professional development around it. Every teacher for RLA went through that and then practiced it and practiced it as far as saying, which components do you need me to come back and work on? And what I think is interesting, just the way we started it in Canyon is you would think, oh, you start at elementary and you go forward. But like I said, K2 does a really good job. Most K2 classrooms, you're watch, they do that. We started in seventh and eighth grade. Because you, it takes so long to see, like it's, anything is in my head, 
a little bit like a business model. It takes three years to see change. Totally. So what we did is we started in seventh and eighth grade. So we trained teachers Uh and they worked through that process. And when I say work through that process, that means everybody worked through the process. Everybody went in and said they either loved it or they hated it or whatever, but we all worked through it. And I walked alongside those teachers and we practiced it and we knew where we needed to get better. And then we did more training and then we did more walking alongside, more observations, more feedback, more, hey, I'll try it, more this, more that. It was like, we did that for two years in seventh and eighth grade. In that second year, we added in ninth and 10th grade teachers. They went through that process. Yes. So then- after ninth and 10th and 11th and 12th, we work through that process. And you also have to know, like, it's also school. It's also business. And right. you're replacing teachers because they're moving for whatever reason. For sure. So then once when you get, you get a groundwork in, and then those teachers can help other teachers. And then because the, no, no person can do that. You have to have people who are like, I want to do this. I want to show you. So they became that community of learners among themselves. And then I got to go in and sit alongside them and work alongside them and do that. Then we moved down to fifth and sixth grade because we do have that intermediate. Uh-huh. And then just the last, cause I've been in Kenyon for seven years. So just the last two years have I been um, really focused on um, three, four. Um, and maybe the last three. So that is a very strange way to approach it. But what I did is I tried to approach it where I knew it. Yeah. I didn't try to approach it in something. And like I said before, I've taught kinder for one year. I've taught fourth for one year and third yeah. for one year. And, but I've been in the high school setting and the junior high setting most of my career. So I'm not going to start somewhere where I don't feel like I have something to give. Right. So, and then once you see that, once other people can see that and we can see some change and we can see movement and we did, it took us three years at the junior high and high school level to see that movement and to see growth. And when I say growth, I'm talking, I'm not talking about in test scores. Yes, we did see growth in our test scores in our junior high, but I'm talking about growth as a craft, Uh as a teacher's craft because at the end of the day a teacher is always growing their craft so that students just get better right just readers and better writers I test scores okay yeah it's one one test one day yeah but for for teachers to call me and say oh my gosh look at this writing that this student did at the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And we did, we did that too. We sat, we did writing collection samples because really truly um, for me, reading is, uh, I don't know who said it. I feel like Donald and Miller said it, but I don't, I don't think that's right. Like reading is breathing in and writing is breathing out. No, I think and that was, I think that, I think you're right. I think that was Donald Miller. Yes. Yes. I think so. She's amazing. Just yeah. <laughs> Anyway, goals, life goals. Can I oh, right. Anyway, so one of the things was we were not assessing writing. 
Mm. Um, and it had some long conversations and I do have the, I do work with the best team. I probably work with the best team in the state, a hundred percent, like our curriculum team. And then um, my supervisor, who's assistant superintendent of curriculum instruction, probably the best team because we can sit down at a table and we can talk through and the next thing is how do we make that happen? Yes. How's that going to work for kids? How does that look? What, what do you think? So truly, truly blessed in that, in that capacity within the district that I work in, in Kenyon. So truly, truly great, great team. I mean, and I get to work with a counterpart that if I have any, he's math to my RLA and I can sit down and have this conversation with him and he'll go, all right, well, let's, let's sketch it out. Let's figure out. I love that. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. So my whole thing was sitting with my team and sitting with uh, my counterpart, Chris Norton and saying, okay, so we need, we need writing. The only way to know if kids can read is to look at their writing. And they kind of looked at me like I was from Mars, but it's okay. I get that a lot. Uh, What we did is we said we were going to do a writing collection for students. So that was, I want to say that was year three after we've done the three. So then now you're going to look at where are we within that? So kind of at the end of year two, going into year three is when we started that. So students had to submit a writing sample to their teacher. Like it's whatever they were doing in their class. It was not made up. It was not forced. It was not assessment. It was just, let's look at their writing so that we can see how their reading is progressing. Because Uh if a student, if a student can read it, they can write it. And the only true way to assess reading is to have a student write about what they read. No multiple choice test is going to tell me what's happening in a student's head when they're reading. Mm-hmm. I can also, um, I just finished a podcast. No, not a podcast. That's wrong. A <laughs> webinar. Oh, oh, nice. Different things. Uh, I was talking. Someone was talking to me. Yes. <laughs> Input, output, never mind. Uh, with Lucy Calkins about uh-huh. looking for phonics instruction in writing, which I think we've been doing it for a long time. We just didn't say that's what we were doing. Yeah. So looking at student writing. So what I did after the webinar was go back and look. And so I pulled some samples to work through that process so that I can go back and teach K-1 for teachers how to do that. And I think we're already doing it. We just didn't call it that. So they collected these writing samples. We're looking at them. We're looking at them for um, spelling, for sure. Uh Because on high-frequency words, those are the words that you have to know how to spell to be able to recognize when you're reading. Also, we're looking for syntactical structure. So when you're looking for that, do they understand what a complete sentence is? and how that makes a complete thought. And then how does that translate back over into reading so that when they are reading the text, they're not reading through periods and they're not reading through what is what would be considered, you know, reading the italicized word or reading the bolded word because that has different emphasis. So if a student is adding that into their writing, I know that the student notices it in their reading. So when I start thinking about reading levels, 
for students or where a student is reading at, I think about, does that writing come close to mm. that? Those two things should be building and growing at the same time. So when I think about our instruction from K to 12, I know those processes. So if we have a student who's having a hard time with idea development or um, coherence, that student will also have the same struggle in their reading to be able to understand idea coherence, which is theme and thesis and understanding. So those two things walk hand in hand when you're thinking about, I have a student who can't do this. Well, let me think about what that student's doing in their reading. Am I stopping? Am I having reading conferences to be able to say what's really happening in your reading? So when I take all of that and put those two things side by side with teachers, they, they go, oh, yeah. Oh, and then I go back to, I've done this weird thing. I know probably uh, Gaysu and Irene would probably go, she cut our book. (laughs) They wouldn't say that at all. But when I take the continuum and you know, when you're looking in the continuum and you have like the reading, like the reading levels for guided Uh readers. Uh So I take out those habits and I cut them out. And then I take out the ones for writers at the same level, like what would be the grade level. And you can put them, you can put them side by side. So um, that's you you should be able to see the similarities. Uh And if you can do those things as reading behaviors and phonics, because phonics and word study are are there in the continuum. Right. So when you're looking at that and you're only looking like you're not looking for all of that in a student's writing at one time, you're really making it succinct to be able to say, what can the student do right now? So not only when your students are reading to you, you're thinking through, okay, they're missing these these words or they're missing these endings or they're missing whatever or they don't they read it, but they have no comprehension of it. So when I come back over, because it's the same with, you know, memorization of spelling or spelling tests or whatever, I'm not a big proponent of spelling tests um, because I'm going to tell you, I can memorize with the best of them. Me too. Yeah. For an amount of time. Yeah. And then lots of it doesn't go into my long-term memory. It's gone. gone. Yes. Yes. I mean, you can recall portions of memorization, but you can't recall all of them. So when you put those side by side and you're looking for those, then you kind of can see what the reader is missing and it's evident in their writing. So then when you're working with that reader, you are, as a teacher, you're working through both things at the same time that you don't realize you're doing. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, So I did... I did create this. So like when we're working through that, those are the things that we as a district were leaving off. We were leaving off that writing component. So we worked really, really hard to see that. And so now we're getting back to the balance of, okay, our students need these components in their literacy block. So this this is what we've been fighting for. And this is where we're at today. And I'm telling you, like, it's awesome. It's so good. It's so good. Our teachers, and it has, 
has nothing to do with has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the work of our teachers yeah. and our administration and just saying, okay, this is where we're moving to. So in those RLA blocks that we are spending time in those RLA blocks from kinder all the way to sixth grade. Um, that, well, actually fifth grade, because our phonics instruction stops for mm -hmm. the teeth in fifth grade. Right. But then in sixth grade forward, we pick up word study. So, um, so what we're really working on in those RLA blocks is that we have that reading time. And in that reading time, what we're working through is making sure that our kids have a comprehension lesson uh -huh. within that to be able to say, this is what you would do for comprehension for reading processes. And then within that, they would have it connected to a genre or to uh, two genres. Uh -huh. This is the process that happens within each genre because when you go to a genre, you read it in a specific way. Yes. You're still practicing asking questions of the text. That's a processing standard. So we've got to be able to teach kids to process that information. But within that, as you're processing that, you're also applying phonetic knowledge in when you're doing that, then our kids have this time where they are being taught phonics, uh -huh. explicit and systematic phonics instruction. So they get this reading minute and, and it could go in any order. The way I'm telling you is not yeah. that order. These are just they the parts. Do. These are just the parts. They could start with phonics. They could start with whatever. So then they're going to get explicit and systematic phonics instruction. And then they're going to work through whatever that is. And they have time to practice that. And I really think that that is part of, you know, I even think of myself as a teacher. That's the part that I probably missed the most was the application part is right. when do my kids get to practice that? So we can practice that in isolation. It's fine to practice it in isolation. So I'm going to teach you, you know, blends or digraphs, trigraphs, whatever I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you vowel constant E. I'm going to teach you whatever. And then we're going to practice it in isolation. So that I know that you understand the skill and what the purpose of the skill is. Yes. Then yes. we might go into our writing or we might go into small groups. But then when I pull my kids over for specific small group instruction, I have to implement every component that I've taught separate, when I pull my kids over for small group, that's application. Because when we read as readers, we're using all of that in one, and we have to teach kids how to use all of it in one. That's the application of reading. And I think that's one of the misconceptions that, that, I, that I probably hear or see the most is because even as even as high school sophomores, yeah. I want them to practice that skill, whatever it is. And it may not be phonics, but it may be word study because right. remember I talked about the teaks. And so we have to know that when you come to a word that you don't know, and I really think that, I mean, I know I've taught, I've taught a lot of kids and I taught upper level kids who would come to me and they sounded like beautiful readers. They sounded beautifully, but when I asked them meaning, they had no meaning. Right. 
And that's not reading. No. It's, I mean, it's a part of reading. Hmm? It is a component of reading. And when I look at the simple view of reading and I look at language comprehension on one side and decoding on the other side, and then a skilled reader, mm-hmm. that's a multiplication problem. Yeah. It's not an addition problem. And no. I can't, right. it's multiplication. I can't have one and not the other. I've got to have both parts. I have to work on phonics and comprehension at the same time. I can't front load phonics and hope comprehension comes later. Right. That doesn't work. Our brains aren't, our, our brains aren't wired like that. Our, our brains seek meaning. So when you come back to that, you go, okay, so it's the same as words. They're separating the words out, but the brain seeks meaning. Uh-huh. Seeking meaning is innate. Holding back meaning when I'm reading something, your brain is not going to just automatically work different when it's trying to learn something. That's how your brain works. Mm -hmm. So when we separate those two things out and then we never bring them back together, our kids can't make meaning of why did I decode all of these words over here and not bring any meaning to it here. We've got to have those components happening. So when I look at the continuum and I think about, if you've ever looked at the continuum, Uh I'm sure you have. Yes. (laughs) I've looked through that book. (laughs) But I can see each section Uh within it when I'm looking at those readers and I think, okay, I'm going to look for this for my reader today. I'm setting those goals for my kids. Right. And I'm not my kids may not get a new goal every day. And I think that's a misconception. Yes. Because even when I'm reading with older readers, like ninth, 10th, I mean, even like, this sounds terrible. Don't tell him. But sometimes when my husband or my kids are reading out loud, like I'm thinking about what's their reading goal? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love that. But that's such a, like, you can't help it. You can't help it. I can't help it. And it's not, their reading goal is not, it's, I mean, their reading goal is their reading goal with whatever it is that they're reading. Like throughout this whole conversation, this whole time that we've been talking, you've kept, you've mentioned how you walk alongside teachers. And I Mm -hmm. think that that is exactly what those, you know, Fountas and Pinnell, Lucy Calkins, all like, that is what they're doing. And I, and to Mm -hmm. me, you know, thinking through the span of supporting K through 12 teachers, if Mm -hmm. you aren't walking beside them, how, how do you know that the change is going to happen, you know, or the practice? And so it's like, you know, we talk so much about teachers have so much on their plate. There is so much that they have to do. We are asking ELA teachers teach reading and writing and phonics, you know, phonics word study in some capacity every single day. And it is the expectation of those teachers that when kids leave, they can do all the things. And that is so much more than any other content area in any grade level. Like Mm -hmm. really sit down and think about it. It is so much and it can be overwhelming. So the idea of being on their level, being in there with them, being side by side, that is where you're going to see the change and the consistency, you know, see that growth, the gains the you know, what you, I love. Yes. I love that. I think it's awesome. Here's the thing is what we're doing 
is a practice. Yes. And that's, that is a little bit unfortunate, but so true because we don't have the same learners today that we had 20 years ago. Oh, kids kids today don't, don't necessarily learn exactly the same way. Right. And I want to say the book, by um, I, I would say there's two books. If I was going to say anybody needed to read two books, just to understand thinking and how thinking has changed over the past 20 years is uh, in the shallows by Nicholas Carr. And then um, think again by Adam Grant. Oh Uh, yeah. I have read that one. I've read. Oh yeah. It's so good. And I've probably read Adam Grant's book twice, like read it physically and then listened to it three times. Mm -hmm. The same with uh, in the shallows or the shallows with Nicholas Carr, because that one is about what the internet has done to our brains and, and the changing. And when I say that it's because when I think about workshops, I'm going to bring all this back to workshop. I love it because when that changing of your brain happens so often, you're looking for the next thing. Uh I can't, I've got to keep my classroom moving where my kids are experiencing that task over and over. It is not a whole group and then go do it whole group and then go do it whole group, go work with your friends that because we're going to miss that component. And even though, you know, I think this is funny, my friend, Chris, who's my counterpart, he's all math and he does technology and all the things. And I am not technology inclined. However, he, he does laugh at me. I say, there still has to be a balance between our technology and our handwritten things and our holding a book. There are experiences that they have to understand that kids have to understand because connection is key to humanity. And when I think about that, and I think about a connection to a book, and I think about a connection to a written piece, our kids still have to be taught how to do that. And I do, I have a love for books. I have a love for books. I have a love for writing, all of the things. And I think that's how we connect as humans. That's how we get kids to understand empathy and compassion and all of the things and how I get to know people. Okay. We have unpacked so many things here. (laughs) All the things, which I absolutely love. But my, at the end of these, my favorite part is like, okay, so how can we make it applicable? Like what if somebody's listening and is like, well, I love, I love that. Or that resonated. Mm -hmm. What can somebody else do to start doing some of these things? You know, whether it's making, making connections or turning their classroom into more of a workshop model, like what's an actionable item? You know, I think the first actionable item is exactly what you said. Like their first action is that they want, they want, they want to see, they want to see the change. And then I think the next thing is to just take one thing, to take one nugget and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that until I get it right. Or I'm going to do that until it feels right to me because we're never going to get it right. Um, not right. Perfect. It's not going to happen. Right. Um, and I think that if you said, you know, I want to go, I want to make sure that my classroom runs like a workshop classroom and is get an idea of what does that look like? There's places out there. You can get that. If they needed to email me, they could email me and say, Hey, I want your model. I want your lesson template. I want whatever that is. Um, and I'm real slow at email. So just know that 
real slow. <laughs> Preface, send the email and just be ready when it comes. <laughs> Ask Andrea how slow I am at email. Wow. I'm super slow. And just take that step in, because that's the hardest thing is to say, yeah. I want to do yeah. that. Because here's the thing is I tell teachers all the time and I tell myself, I have a little, I have written this on my bathroom mirror. I can't do everything, but I can do one thing. Yes. I love that. Yeah. I, I can't do everything, but I can do one thing. And so yeah. what is the one thing that I want that to do? And then reach out and just say, show me, show me how to do that. Like those teachers. And if you have someone in your district, you know, and you're like, Hey, how can this work or whatever? talk to them, have them reach out to me, you reach out to me, whoever. Um, I'm open for all of those things. Um, yeah, but I would say that and reach out and, you know, figure out like, what are your questions about it? And, yeah. um, and if you have more than it's kind of just a, my self-practice, if you have more than five questions about something, then you, then you have a little bit of lack of understanding. So you yes. need more understanding about it. Yes. So those are the things I would say, seek this, seek that. And, you know, send me an email. Love it. And Love it. I'll get back to you. You know, give me eight days for sure. And then <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and tell me what it's about. Like, tell me in the email, what, what is this about? Yes. Subject Fair. line, subject line, need help podcast. I need yes. help. Need help. Perfect. That's it. I'll add that to the show notes. If sending Lisa an email, your subject needs to be need help podcast. That yeah, yeah. Because then I'll go. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And ready to help. (laughs) Exactly. Ready to help. Always. No, that is perfect. It is very apparent that you are passionate about what you do, and I think, I mean, the the your team and the teachers that you work with in Canyon are super lucky to have you. I think that is awesome. And Uh I just really appreciate your time and energy and sharing your wealth of knowledge. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. I loved it. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Teachers Are Leaders. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. We are, you know, wherever you find your podcast. And if you're looking for us outside of the podcast world, we are on Twitter at WarrenINPD. And our website is WarrenINPD.com. Hope to see you soon. Thanks.